0: The resume is a relic. It doesn't have the right information on it. Would you treat your customers the same way that you treat your candidates? How you implement change, how you do it well, what are the key factors in driving that success? Understand that no doesn't always have to be the first answer. You've got to create your own story. What's what's the narrative? What's the brand? What are you doing at the beginning of the process and what's happening at the other end? Take that time to do that for your entire organization and everything else is infinitely easier.
1: Hello, Ben. How's it going? Good,
0: Chris. How are you doing?
1: Good. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on Hiring All Cylinders. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, and I thought we'd jump straight into something I know you're really passionate about, which is TA stepping up and being seen as a strategic partner within the organization. I think that a lot of companies have gone through this volatility and it seems like maybe still aren't being seen as you know, a viable strategic part. They're seen as disposable. Um, so we'd love to talk to you about what, how you think about that and what TA folks can do to level themselves up.
0: Yeah. Uh, great question, Chris. I, uh, I love this one. It's one that we're going through in my organization as well. And I think one of the, the, the first steps is going on the awareness and the education journey of what hiring means. To an organization, right? We we talk about all the you hear talks about all the KPIs around hiring, time to hire, time to fill, NPS, those kinds of things in terms of the performance of the individual organization. But a lot of the times, it's not actually integrated into the overall organizational health. And so, how do you look at and think about what it means to have a healthy organization from a robust PNL, having strong EBITDA performance and also having strong people performance and people means, uh, retention It means development It means internal mobility. It also means hiring. And one of the things that, uh, I think you're, you've seen a pretty big spike in voices out in our community is around how are we treating our candidates? And so it's been a really interesting conversation to think about, and this has always been something that's been an employment brand too, which is uh, would you treat your customers the same way that you treat your candidates? And that's often a question that causes some pause when you're, when you're talking to leadership teams.
1: Absolutely. And I really like the commerciality that you kind of just framed there, which was, you know, understanding what the core business metrics are and the things that make that organization thrive and then feeding that into how that sits with your team and the goals that they have. What have you found to be an effective way of taking those kind of high-level kind of business goals and then bringing them down to your team so they feel like they're having an impact towards them? Because sometimes, especially for more junior mid-level people, it's not immediately obvious that what they're doing is hitting that stuff. So how do you get the team bought in and, you know, seeing that it's their responsibility?
0: Yeah, I think first it's creating the language between the two groups. So hiring managers, business leaders, they're, they're running, they're managing small, medium, large portions of their business. And TA partners are helping them achieve those goals and I think a lot of what I've seen successful groups do is learn from one another. And I think the first step in doing that is integrating that into your into your model. So uh, what I've seen from companies that haven't done this well is the interaction model or the service model is I need something, deliver me something. And the ones that are really successful, the the recruiters, the delivery leaders, the operational leaders, they are embedded in the business. They are invited to all hands meetings. They go through the learning journey that a new person from that organization goes through. They've worked side by side, they've done on the job shadows and they've created the language together of really understanding and knowing what's going on in each other's worlds and have that mutual respect for what they need to do in order to be successful
1: and do you work on a kind of formalized framework around that kind of goal setting is it like okrs or yeah some some other version of that that you found successful
0: yeah uh that's an exercise that i've seen work time and time again especially around okrs and i've seen it done in both ways i've seen bottom up okr goaling i've also seen top down uh the ones that I've seen be the most successful are where there's a conversation in the middle. So you need, you need the ones from the, the top to start and come out as a way to say, this is our North star. And then how do we think about how we contribute to those medium and longer term strategies that the company needs to achieve? And so when those things are done together, not just within one org, but across organizations, you, you get the best results because you have teams working from all parts of the business to make sure that you are able to roll up and see how work aligns. It also, one of the, the key benefits that I've seen too, is it actually reduces the friction in that prioritization exercise that constantly is happening. So one of the things that, uh, I've seen done really well here is the enterprise wide list of what we decide to work on is shared with the entire company on a regular basis and the stack ranking of the things that are important, move up and down on a pretty regular basis. And that's all communicated out to everybody. So we understand what's, what's important, what's changed and how we, how we effectively best utilize our time to meet those things. That's really
1: interesting. Is there a rule around? how frequently those priorities can shift. It's like, you know, they must stay the same for every quarter or for every month, or can it really just be super fluid?
0: Uh, I mean, when you're, uh, when you're a more nascent organization, those things are going to be more fluid. Uh, and that's the expectation you need to be because you're reacting to market changes. You're reacting to competitive changes. You're reacting to some of the landscape. And I think as you go through that maturity in your business model, it doesn't need to change as often. Uh, And I've I've seen both. I've seen some where they've been set one time a year and we follow the same thing all year long. And I've worked on others where they've literally changed every single month. There have been tweaks, there have been modifications, and you see and respond to those things. And uh, it requires just different skill sets for how you build in that agility and that change learning process for people that are in your teams.
1: I was just going to say that because... You know, a lot of folks have been dealing with quite a lot of volatility and change over the last few years and i think it's been very hard for some people to to deal with is Joe you know, this change in priorities and these shifting priorities of businesses that are moving with really the economy and how that's shifting um I'm, I'm not sure that it really was like in the company's five-year plan but they're just having to do what they can to stay ahead of the curve or try to how do you I guess train like you just said. Train your team to deal with that kind of ambiguity and change, um, or is it cases you have to hide with that in mind? First of all, can it be trained?
0: Yeah, uh, one of of course it can always be trained. Uh, I like to think of, think in a growth mindset and have a continuous improvement model. Like, uh, I think there are some people that are more adept in those things than others, so you can train it. Uh, In fact, literally right before I I jumped on this conversation uh, with you, Chris, we just got done with our third installment of a change course for the TA team, like learning how you implement change, how you do it well, what are the key factors in driving that success. Uh, And that's something that, that we're doing in different parts of our organization is going on that journey to be able to say, this is what good change looks like, and this is what maybe not so great change looks like. And there's been tons of work. There are lots of great courses out there now, like how to get in that mindset. Like what are the key strategies in terms of the planning phase and really emphasizing what that looks like. Uh, and we recently talked about, uh, as you get mature in the change, you're able to do it better and faster. And when, uh, when you have teams that are working really successfully with one another, they're able to go through that change curve that you see pretty quickly. So they go from that, not knowing that limbo, that lost space to acceptance and new beginnings in shorter and shorter amounts of time. And I think what you've seen is there's actually created a, a pretty, I would say a pretty big chasm between people that have been able to adapt and learn and be agile in the last three or four years and some of the people and companies that haven't been able to adapt and you're starting to see that shake out now with the change in the economic conditions like who are going to be the winners and losers of being able to to see what's happening in the economy and how the market is changing for not only people uh, but the work that needs to be delivered
1: really interesting People always saying you hear this a lot. You know, there's a real power in saying no as well. Why is the line between you know a lead as a leader, you know, having those ever shifting priorities and your team dealing with lots of different you know, competing priorities, and them being you know up for it and kind of ready for the change and um, and, and adaptable versus protecting you know what what they need to st- stick to and saying no to things? Like, how do you manage that?
0: I think some of the best leaders I've ever worked with are the ones that can receive new information and understand that no, doesn't always have to be the first answer. And I know as you, as uh, you grow up and you, you get more mature in your leadership. It's like, no, I want to say no to as many of the things as I can. Cause I've created this strategic roadmap and if I deviate, it'll create chaos amongst teams because we're changing our minds so much. However, uh, I think what we've seen is there's been new information. There's a lot more data. There's a lot better quality data out in our world now around how we think about decisions we make today and the results that we achieve tomorrow. And as I've worked on different things, like creating the forecast and being able to retrospectively look, did we hit what we said we're going to hit and taking that and being able to synthesize in with, well, I said no to that two months ago, but now the data is telling me I really should be open to that idea. And in the face of that, we need to make a change and be open to pivoting where the most important priority takes us next.
1: That leads me on really nice day, actually to something that again, I know that you're really passionate about, which is using data to inform decision-making. Um, and you just mentioned it there, but. For you, what's the, if someone really is trying to become more data fluent in their organization, use data more strategically, what's the first step that talent leader could take? And I guess, is there a few key metrics that they should start with? Like, what's your take on that?
0: I think the first two questions that every new leader in a TA organization should think about and look at from a data perspective, what are the goals of the organization? Like how is. How is TA seen, right? Is the goal, the number of hires is the goal time to hire is the goal quality of candidate. What are the goals with your business leaders that they've set out for your organization? And then how do you go back and look at your existing data set and say, this is the story I can tell about that. And that brings me to the second point, which is you've got to create your own story. What's, what's the narrative? What's the brand? What is what is it that you need leaders and other individuals to do in support of the goals that have been set out for the organization? So for a great example, uh, referral programs, right? Often they are a fantastic source of being able to hire great people. Uh, you usually can hire them much quicker, uh, than other candidates. Uh, but that's team effort. And so you need to inform and and go on the campaign of the awareness and tell the story about why referrals are great. What, what does it mean to submit quality referrals? Why are they useful inputs into the hiring process and thinking about what that looks like and then looking at the data to see if that narrative supports what you're trying to accomplish.
1: And we've spoken about this before, but you tend to look at kind of bookends in the process as well. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that and what led you to come to this kind of idea or, or yeah, this realization that they were the really important parts of the process?
0: Yeah. Uh, bookends. So what are you doing before the hiring starts? What are you doing at the beginning of the process and what's happening at the other end? Uh, I do- I've done a lot of work especially at the beginning part of the process. And I think that's really, that's where you're, where you're really going to see organizations that are transforming do a lot of work in the next several years. So all of that job architecture, that job analysis, that job code mapping of what does it take to be successful in this job where you've got skills mapping, where you've built qualifications that are unbiased, they're equitable. There's something that can be ascertained on a resume. And I say that with an asterisk and we can come back to that. Uh, And really uh, thinking about how you define what the search is going to include and what that means for setting the right expectations, not only for future candidates, for your hiring team, hiring managers, interviewers, recruiters, schedulers, and getting everybody off on the right foot in terms of where you go next and how you conduct that search in the right way uh on the other end of that process uh is really thinking about what does it take when you build that first process out to how you're going to close those candidates right you know something about the person you're looking for so building that strategy uh into into the beginning of that process whether that means additional conversations with key leaders with involving different members of the organization that are not part of the interviewing team to really thinking strategically around what does the career mapping look like how do you have that conversation with a potential employee when you get to that later stage of the process being able to have that career conversation before they join the organization and really mapping out the first 30, 60, 90 days and I would even say 12 months. Like what does career progression look like? What does success look like? Uh, and I don't think most organizations take the time to do that. It's all, I got to start the process, hiring manager, rewrite a job description when we write the same job description 42 times with 12 different words that are changed and then great. They accepted the offer, get them in the door, start them, and then, Oh, maybe I'll work on a plan for onboarding and those kinds of things. And they're all afterthoughts that that end up happening.
1: Absolutely. This might be putting you on the spot slightly, but I know that, you know, I'm sure you've seen this too. There's such a huge spectrum of where people are on that journey and where companies are at, you know, some are really immature. Some do some things really well and just completely miss quite basic things. Um, If you were to say, looking at the, the bookends and looking at the beginning of the process, and the end, in your experience, what is the most impactful thing a company can do at the front of the process and the back end of the process to improve results?
0: Yeah. Uh, I think the most important thing any of these companies can do is really defining the roles precisely. And what I mean by that is uh, a lot of a lot of the tech companies follow the same sort of model where it's I hire for a software engineer and everybody's very familiar there are different leveling structures within that and for a long time there's been there's been this notion that those are fluid measurements and they're not there are different skills and competencies and capabilities at Each one of those different moments for that role and their different job codes. And we really need to take the time to define what does success look like? What are the things that a person needs to be capable of performing with some level of proficiency in those things before we start on that journey? Take that time to do that for your entire organization and everything else is infinitely easier, building structured interviewing rubrics, building assessment tools, doing all of the things to improve the speed and the quality throughout the process, that really unlocks capabilities for everything else that your organization is going to try to achieve.
1: And who would be responsible for that typically in an organization, like talent operations, head of talent, who who do you think should be responsible for it, I guess?
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Uh, it's a great question. I think it's a partnership between, um, I've seen this done really well where it's a partnership between uh, people, operations groups and talent groups Uh, because the, the HR teams are working with the leaders every day to do these job descriptions, do the people planning. They have the conversation of knowing what the people on the ground are doing every single day. The talent knows what they're hiring for. And when you blend those things, and you're able to conduct interviews with employees doing the jobs at the different moments in the organization. I don't think it's owned by one person. I think it's really a partnership and a collaboration by lots of different places in the organization. And then in having a robust people analytics to validate that the information that you've got is actually correct as you go forth and implement uh, that because it has all sorts of implications downstream. It's got comp effects it's got learning and development it's got internal mobility pathways that it, it really uh can transform how you think about the social networks of how people go from point a to point b in an organization
1: and a lot of the kind of front end of the process typically for companies is on talent acquisition like you're bringing in kind of mm-hmm. for new open roles and you just mentioned internal mobility there and i know that your know, talent mapping is becoming you know really important for companies in terms of retention and keeping their top performers how do you think about internal talent mapping and internal mobility and and can you maybe talk through some of your experience
0: the way that i think about talent mapping is it's more than succession planning and i thought i think when everybody hears talent mapping that's their first thought is succession planning and i think that's an input into really good talent mapping it's not talent mapping uh, and what talent mapping needs to mean is understanding uh, the capabilities of the people that are in the seats as it relates to the role skills, uh, and competencies needed to do that. And then what are the, the other piece to it, the softer side of it, or what are the interests of the individuals that are sitting in those seats? And I think oftentimes... Those things are at odds with one another in organizations. I think uh, when you do effective talent mapping, it, it turns into a silo exercise almost where it's this person goes from step one to step two to step three to step four in my organization. They turn, they go from business analyst to business analyst to business analyst to business analyst rather than oh, business analyst. Now they're marketing analysts. Now they're leader of a function and Thinking about spider webbing the talent across the places that are, are cross-relatable skills to get them a more well-rounded view of how the business operates. And you, what you do is you create uh, more well-rounded individuals, not only with skills and competencies, but they actually understand your business better. And they're able to help people learn and take on additional responsibilities to achieve the right outcomes for the organization. So when they go to solve this problem in the marketing role, they remember the business analyst time and they go, I know what are the other things that, that go into how we would potentially think about solving these problems and you get, you get far better outcomes.
1: Yeah. How do you capture that journey and that ever-changing, you know, information and What's the best way of keeping track of that as someone you know, progresses for your organization, picks up new skills, is maybe ready or you know relevant for a new opportunity like I think that's where a lot of people get it wrong right' it's, it's, a lot of the time it's down to the one manager you have for advocating for you or for being great with performance reviews or you know looking out for you. How do you make that more systematic?
0: I think there's a couple pieces that I think about. Uh, especially as it relates to data as well, as like, do you have an LMS that captures and enables that kind of skills mapping, that competency mapping for your organization? Like, just like we were talking about OKRs, right? Like, a lot of companies are are using tools to capture or cascade how you measure and monitor progress towards OKRs. Well, the next step that goes beyond that is what is your talent know and using and doing to be proficient, to be able to deliver on those things. And I think you're starting to see that not only from a internal mobility talent mapping piece, you're starting to see that on the, on the hiring side too, where we need to be able to demonstrate that we have the capabilities that we say we have, that we've got the competencies that we say we have. Uh, And making sure that we have a way to prove those things. And I think what you're seeing is uh, more and more companies are springing up around how do we assess, how do we make sure, how do we determine proficiency as it relates to what you can do and what the next job or the next place in your career is, because it may not always be within your own company. And I know that's to a lot of HR leaders, like that's, that's the ultimate no, no, but, I think if you really think about, uh, how, how to really consider what attrition means for your organization, if you don't have roles that have that skill or that proficiency that that person needs or wants great, you, you, it gives you an input to say, I know what the timeline is for this person's trajectory with my company, before you get to the exit interview, it's going to be able to say, I'm actually promoting you to go on and take that next step at company B rather than my organization. And it's a great experience for both people.
1: Yeah. It's almost, yeah. Planning for the eventuality and it's better than being surprised by it. Yep. For sure.
0: you are always talking about it in retro retro retrospect, right? Like attrition is always like, gosh, we had this terrible month or week of attrition. I wish I would've known about that six months ago.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And to wrap up you said something earlier about resumes and I know that you've got a very controversial opinion that resumes are dead so could you go into that a bit more
0: yeah uh I think the resume that that we're all fond of and are used to for the last gosh resume's been around for a hundred plus years at this point now uh no longer are we doing it the way that I did it when I was a kid I wrote my resume on a piece of paper and I walked around the storefronts or the places and I handed it out to to different shop owners. I want to work at this place. Uh, even the employment application was kind of a newer saying, like somebody actually having a form that you fill out and submit. Uh, but where I think we're going as a society, I, like the resume uh, is a relic. It doesn't have the right information on it that gives employers the right indicators of who should be interviewed for a job, right? Those, all the things that we're looking at uh, and every company is doing this in one way, shape or form, right? There, there are some versions of products or ATSs out there that will scan resumes and put information in and try to evaluate sets of words to say, you should prioritize these candidates in this way Uh, I think the way that we see that now, it's not going to look the same, especially, uh, as we talk about AI and thinking about like what that technology will do, I think as we get better at doing the skills and competency mapping for all of these roles and create that uniform language. That a program manager is a program manager is a program manager. We don't have 20 different companies calling it 20 different things, the skills, the competence competencies can all be measured you can be measured on the proficiency we're going to get to a place where uh the assessments the education system will support the validation of the skills that we know you have to know what your career paths are uh to be able to say like look you've done these things you've taken these courses you've taken this assessment here are the 27 things that you're good at and here's the level of proficiency here are the jobs that you're qualified for, and then employers and employees will have a marketplace where it's very easy to see, uh, that employers need this skills. You can go to these 27 employers who do this and they will also be able to see the candidates all the way back as early as school, middle Mm -hmm. school, high school, who's developing, what's coming up, what are the skills that are needed? There's going to be a much closer relationship. Uh, between
1: those things. Wow, I mean, one thing's definitely for sure that the pace of change in our industry is is rapid and it's gonna keep evolving. So I'm really looking forward to seeing if your prediction uh, comes true. Um, but really great um, to speak to you, Ben. I just noticed you have a piano in the background. So next time we need to, uh, we need to jam together, <laughs> um, uh, get a little theme tune going. Um, But um, thanks again, and
0: uh, catch you soon. Yep, thanks so much. Appreciate it.